Hello, and welcome to this episode of Surety Today. Surety Today is a live monthly call-in podcast presented by the Surety and Fidelity Law Group at Wright, Constable, and Skeen, located in the Mid-Atlantic region. Surety Today is offered to surety claims professionals and is designed to keep you informed about important issues in the industry. Here is your host, Michael Stover. Welcome, everyone, to this edition of Surety Today. My name is Mike Stover, and I'm a partner in the Surety and Fidelity Law Group here at Wright Constable and Skeen in Baltimore, Maryland. As always, we'd like to open up our episodes with a big thank you to everyone for your support of Surety Today. We ask that you pass along our contact information to any colleagues who you think may be interested in calling in or checking out one of our podcasts. We also ask that you like and or share our Surety Today posts on our social media platforms. When you like or share our posts, of course, it lets all the other surety folks that you are connected with see the post so they can join in too. Remember, you can listen to any one or all of our prior 70 episodes of Surety Today anytime, anywhere from any one of our multiple platforms. Uh, we have our Surety Today page on our website at wcslaw.com uh, as a podcast at Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean. Uh, you just search for Surety Today in Google and you'll find it and on our uh, micro site at suretytoday.net. As always, uh, we, we've muted the line during the presentation to avoid any background noise and we'll unmute the line at the end for any questions. I got home uh, last night around 11 o'clock for my whirlwind surety vacation tour. I started off on April 26th going down to Clearwater, Florida for the Southern Surety Claims Conference, which uh, it's a really great conference. It's hosted by a number of well-known law firms and Forcon. Uh, if you've never been, it's, uh, it's really, really great. It's well-attended, excellent presentations. And this conference travels a circuit uh, between Clearwater, New Orleans, Charleston, and Nashville. So it's got great locations. Uh, it's always in mid-April. And so next year, I believe it's going to be in Charleston. So reach out to Forcon for details. If you've never been, it's, uh, it's a real treat. After that conference, we hung around in Clearwater and then drove up to Hilton Head for the ABA Spring FSLC meeting. And Nina Durante and I from Liberty uh, gave a presentation on our chapter of the, new, uh, of the new ABA FSLC book, the third edition of the Law of Commercial Surety and Miscellaneous Bonds. Uh, our chapter, which was uh, co-authored with George Backrack, is chapter 20 on the surety's collateral in a principal's bankruptcy. Now, this chapter is over 100 pages long and has over 300 footnotes. It's a really, really comprehensive resource for surety practitioners, and I highly recommend that you get the book if you've got any questions relating to your collateral when your principal goes into bankruptcy. You know, can I draw down on that letter of credit? Can I cancel that bond? All those kinds of issues that come up when the principal goes into bankruptcy and you're standing there holding the collateral. What about letters of credit, those kinds of things? It's all in that chapter. And uh, if it doesn't give you the answer, it'll certainly put you in the right direction with all the uh, footnotes and resources there. So uh, notwithstanding the fact that I'm a co-author of it, I think it's something everybody should check out, You know, particularly if you've got insomnia and you can't sleep. I mean, you pull up in that chapter and you, you'll be set. Uh, it was really great, though, you know, going to these conferences for the first time in so long and, and just being in person with folks from all over the country catching up 
Uh, but unfortunately, I picked up someone's germs and I'm now sick. So, so yeah, I'm giving this podcast after just getting back from two weeks away, having given a presentation just last Thursday and while sick from home. I've never given the podcast from home before, so I'm hoping, one, you can even hear me, and two, that this will, this will work out. Uh, but our episode today is about curiosities in surety claims. And, um, you know, I, I had... I had high hopes uh, that we would that we'd be able to cover a lot of information here, but I I, I don't know, folks. We'll see what we get. <laughs> but <laughs> oh yeah, and I may periodically cough like this. It's, it's, it's terrible. But anyway, uh, the first thing I wanted to start off with is these is discussing these terrible, bad, no good bond forms. And I was able to search around and find some examples of some of these some bond forms that just blow your mind. I mean, it is, it is unbelievable that anyone, it's unbelievable that one, anyone would ever create this kind of bond form, these kinds of bond forms, and two, that any surety would ever issue them, you know, but, but here we go. We'll start off with the first one. It's the Pennsylvania Waste Management Facility Bond. And this bond form presents, I mean, a treasure trove of nightmares for every surety. First is essentially, it's a penal subforfeiture bond. That means that if there's a violation, the full penal sum of the bond can be demanded. Second, the bond guarantees compliance with all applicable existing laws and any amendments or changes in the laws that may come into effect later. So if there's sweeping code changes after you've issued your bond during the effective period of the bond, uh, you bonded them. Third, the bond is effective until 10 years after the waste disposal operations are completed and if during that period a violation occurs, the bond continues until, until such violation is corrected. So this is a very, very long tail bond. And, you know, you, you bonded all the potential future changes in the law, too, during this. So fourth, I mean, we're on the fourth terrible part of this bond. It, you know, one or two of these things was in a bond. Okay, all of these are in the bond. Fourth. The scope of coverage of the bond is, is astounding. It includes violations that occurred even prior to the issuance of the bond. I kid you not. Uh, it says, it is agreed and understood by the surety and the principal that this bond covers and includes any and all liabilities and obligations under the aforementioned law, which accrued on the permit site prior to the issuance of the permit, as well as any and all liabilities and obligations that the principal could be accrued under the law from the date of issuance of the permit until the release. So yeah, you know, you're, yeah, you're, Bonding stuff you don't even you don't even have beforehand, so you really really have to do your due diligence on this one. I, I don't know what you I don't know how you could possibly uh, issue this bond. But anyway, fifth fifth we're still going, folks, still going here. It's all the same bond. Fifth, the bond contains a waiver of the material alteration defense, in providing that the surety you know agrees that their liability hereunder shall not be impaired or affected by any renewal or extension of the time for performance of any other provisions, conditions, etc. Any forbearance or delay in declaring the bond forfeited or in enforcing payment on this bond, it's all waived. So goodbye to all the material alteration defenses and everything else there. Uh, it additionally provides that the surety waives any performance rights. Now, this is, this is interesting. The surety hereby waives any right to cover or perform the obligations of the principal upon the principal's default, provided, however, that the department may in writing authorize the surety to cover such defaulted obligations if the department determines 
it's in its best interest to do so. So, you know, you, you, you know, you have to come in groveling. Can we please uh, complete and, and maybe cover here? So six, we're still going for it. And I haven't even got to the worst stuff. I'm telling you, I have not got to the worst stuff. Six, it mandates that any collateral held by the surety for its indemnification against the bond losses. All right, so this is your collateral. You've gotten it up front. You're holding it over here in your pocket. Uh, is to be held in trust for the government. So, so now the government's a trustee now. You're holding these funds, and, and, and you're the trustee, rather. You're holding these funds for the government, and the government is now a beneficiary of these funds that you're holding as collateral. So talk about illusory collateral. Uh, seventh, still going. Seventh, while the surety may cancel the bond, such cancellation is not effective for 120 days, uh, and if during that period the principal cannot find a replacement bond, the canceled bond shall be forfeited. So this is this is cancellation with a you know with Russian roulette. I mean, if you don't cancel this bond until you know you've got a replacement bond. So it, it says failure of the principal to submit a replacement bond within 30 days after the notice of violation constitutes grounds for forfeiture of the bond and other bonds submitted by the principal under the law. If the department declares the bond forfeited before expiration of the 120-day period, the notice of cancellation is null and void. So, you know, you don't—it's not even canceled. It's just null and void. It's forfeited. So, don't uh, don't worry about canceling. They'll cancel for you. And finally, and it, it, finally, the bond allows for confession of judgment against the surety. So that's just you know the, the cherry on top of this awful bond form is that at the end of the day. Hey, they can go into any court, anywhere, any attorney, and confess judgment against the surety for, uh, you know, for any sum or sums of money, which may be due here under, with or without defalcation or declaration filed, with interest and costs and release of errors, without stay of execution, and with 10% on top for collection fees. <laughs> so this bond form, if you ever see this thing, just start running or get the checkbook out because, yeah, that's, that's bad. Here's another one um, that I found interesting, uh, the New York Independent System Operator Bond. So this is uh, NISO, I guess I'll, I'll call it that. It's NYSO. Uh, it has to do with providing energy and the power grid in New York. This bond form reads more like a letter of credit. Uh, under this bond, the shirt is required to pay the amount specified by the obligee upon receipt of a demand for payment. The obligee's demand for payment may be made without prior demonstration of the validity of the demand. The obligee may demand multiple payments, limited only by the penal sum. I mean, all that sounds like, you know, you've issued a letter of credit and, you know, they're they just coming in making a draw on the letter of credit. The surety shall, shall pay amounts owed pursuant to the surety bond in full, not later than the first business day following receipt. I mean, it could be worse. It could say the next day, right? It could be a weekend, but... Uh, following receipt of demand for the payment. The bond provides that uh, the bond is not conditioned upon NISO first attempting to collect payment or resorting to any other means of security or collateral or pursuing any other remedies it may have. The obligations of the surety hereunder are independent to the obligations of the principal, and NISO may bring an action against the surety without bringing an action against the principal. Now, all that's kind of standard, more or less. But then here's the kicker, quote, surety's liability under this surety bond is not conditioned upon the validity or enforceability of the principal's obligations to NISO. So, so I don't even know what that is. The principal doesn't even have to be in default, apparently. It doesn't even have to 
have a valid claim arising from the principal's default before the surety is liable under this under this bond form. I, I can't understand how in the world that could be valid. I mean, I understand the importance of ensuring continuity of power and all that, but man, this this makes, I mean, the surety is almost in the power business. You got to be there shoulder to shoulder with the principal to make sure this thing's being run right. Otherwise, you're going to get some demand and, and uh, you got a day, a business day to pay. This bond also has another uh, illusory cancellation provision. It's more like a penalty. The surety can terminate the bond upon 60 days written notice. However, surety's liability survives such termination and remains in full force and effect as the obligations incurred by the principal during the term of the bond. Now, that, that's fairly standard. Uh, but in the event that the principal fails to provide an acceptable form of replacement security at least 50 days prior to the termination, the surety is required to deliver cash collateral to the obligee, not later than the next business day. I don't know, can any surety even turn around something like that in a business day? I, 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 don't, I don't know. In the amount of the full remaining value of the bond as security for the principal's obligation. So if the surety cancels the bond, uh, you got 10 days essentially because you have a 60-day notice and, and, and if they don't produce a new bond within 50 days, so you got a 10-day window in which the replacement bond must be provided or the surety has to post cash collateral essentially in a full amount of the bond. And that's, that's just, now oh, they'll return it if the, if the, uh, you know, if the principal ultimately shows up with, uh, with other security later. But uh, I mean, that's just, you know, stroking that check. I don't know how big these bonds are, but that, that would be crazy. Okay. So these, these first two bond forms are very esoteric, but you know, it's, it's interesting to see what's out there, you know, from now on, when, when I see a, a bond from Walsh construction or Clark construction, I'm going to feel a little relieved knowing that it could be a lot worse. But here's one that is troubling. Now, this one, uh, this one is more, more in our realm of, uh, uh, of what we deal with. It's, it's a new bond form from the Commonwealth of Virginia. It's a standard performance bond for the Virginia Department of General Services. So you may, you may run into this one uh, on the contract surety side. Now, this bond form, um, of course, will come into play going forward uh, on, on Virginia projects. So in Section 3 of this bond, uh, in response to the obligee's notice of default, the surety has 14 days to request a meeting with the obligee to discuss methods of completing the contract. If the surety fails to request or attend such a meeting, uh, it will, it, the bond says it, quote, shall be declared in default. So this is a meeting, you know, with teeth. I mean, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't demand this meeting or go to this meeting, you know, you're in default, just boom, right off the bat. Now, 14 days is also not a lot of time, especially for the, you know, larger sureties where, you know, things get rerouted and, and, uh, you know, they got to scan it in because it's, uh, it's all electronic and all that, or, you know, it goes to uh, it goes to the agent that issues this bond, and you know what if they're on vacation? God forbid. But so if you miss the deadline, the bond says you're in default. But assuming that the meeting takes place, you, you know you're not in default. In section four of the bond, the state has graciously given the surety 30 days, you know, after the initial meeting to investigate and otherwise analyze the project. And you know at the end of this time period, the surety must make an election among the performance rights provided in the bond. 
and I'll, I'll talk about those in a second. So that's that's pretty pretty standard, right? You get you get to inspect, investigate, and and then you got to make a choice. And 30 days is short, but you know it's not uh, it's not walls construction uh, 15 days or 10 days. It's it's uh, a little better. But first, the bond has some <laughs> dangerous language here, and I, I, you know it, it's a little. You got I'm going to have to read it to you twice. But anyway, it, it says uh, quote. Well, after the surety shall notify the owner in writing that it has taken one of the following actions, quote, which shall be acceptable to the owner at the owner's sole discretion. Let me say that again. It, quote, this election that the surety is going to make shall be acceptable to the owner at the owner's sole discretion. Now, to me, I mean, it, it, it can be a little confusing when you first when you first read it, but to me. The language seems to be saying that although the surety can choose between the performance option, uh, the option chosen by the surety must be or shall be accepted or acceptable to the owner and that the owner has the sole discretion as to which option chosen by the surety is acceptable or not. That language essentially strips the surety of its option to choose and converts it into the option to choose what the obligee wants. That's basically what it's saying. But wait, it gets even worse. The performance options that the bond allows the surety to quote unquote choose from include first, takeover. All right, so you can take over and, and even with the consent of the obligee, the surety could use its principal to complete. Second, and, and here the bond form again provides if acceptable to the obligee and at the obligee's sole discretion and with reasonable promptness, the surety may waive the right to complete and pay all amounts owed to the obligee, including cost to complete, correct defects, any additional legal, design, professional, delay costs, liquidated damages, all of that, that's all you'd be agreeing to pay. Or three, you can, you can deny liability in writing, stating the reasons uh, therefore. If the obligee and the surety cannot agree on the amount owed under option two, the blank check Blank check option is what I, I call that one. Uh, or if the surety denies liability, the obligee can enforce any remedy available and complete using any available means. So the bond form specifically takes away the, uh, the, the, the other, one of the other bad parts about this bond is that it specifically takes away the option to tender. Uh, those, those options I talked about, the three options, that's all you got. Uh, and they're not even, they're illusory anyway, but, but it takes away the tender uh, option by stating, quote, however due, however, due to conflicts with the Virginia Public Procurement Act, the owner may not directly contract with an otherwise qualified independent contractor produced by the surety. So without saying it, they're basically saying you can't tender. We're not going to, we're not going to accept a surety's tender or somebody. So. Typically, one of the best options is not an option, but the other options are illusory. So I guess maybe in the scheme of things, the way this bonds where it maybe it doesn't matter. But so the surety's choices are takeover, essentially write a blank check or deny the claim. The surety doesn't really have that choice because any choice made has to be acceptable to the obligee in its sole discretion. So in theory, under this bond, the surety could elect to deny the claim, but the obligee could say, nah. Uh, you know, I, I don't really, that's not acceptable to me. I, I think you got to choose another option. So, so you, you, <laughs> sorry, you try to deny the claim and the surety that's not acceptable to me. 
I can't imagine a, a, a novel Z rather. I'm, I can't imagine a novel Z not ever saying that, you know, that, 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 that your denial is acceptable. So, or the surety could, you know, say it elects to take over, but the novel Z could say, no, choose another option, which basically means write the blank check. That's what we want. So, uh, now, you know, in, in, in general, uh, the law in, in many jurisdictions would be that, uh, uh, that this exercising of the sole discretion option, uh, the power rather that the Alvaji has, uh, would need to be exercised with reasonableness and in good faith. But, uh, but it remains to be seen because this bond form is brand new, uh, what the courts in uh, Virginia will do. Uh, but this is a really bad, ill-conceived bond form, and you just have to uh, be on the lookout for it. One final um, a uh, bad aspect of this bond is that uh, there does not appear to be a clear statement that the penal limit of the bond is the surety's limit of liability. In section six of the bond, it states that if the surety elects to take over or pay the obligee, its quote unquote responsibility shall not be greater or less than those of the contractor to the obligee under the contract. So. To me, I mean, the, the liabilities, uh, responsibilities under the contract are limitless. I mean, uh, other than the, the nature of the work, uh, your exposure, your liabilities under the contract are limitless. So, I, you know, it's not a very clear bond form in, in regards to the, uh, to the penal sum. So that, uh, that is uh, probably the worst aspect of this bond, that they didn't clearly set that out in here. And you may have, you may see when this thing starts to, uh, get litigation around it, uh, what's going on. So, uh, uh, so that's these, these bond forms that I was able to find and, and just, just crazy. Now, one of the other um, uh, aspects that I wanted to talk about that's a little bit of a curiosity to me and maybe somebody smarter than me can tell me, tell me to figure out why, why I don't get it. But uh, I wanted to just talk about a little bit about the Davis-Bacon Act and, and the surety's rights, uh, subrogation rights, uh, when the Davis-Bacon Act is involved. Of course, the Davis-Bacon Act, as everybody knows, is, uh, is, is an act that relates to the payment of essentially prevailing wages uh, by uh, contractors on government jobs. And there's variations of that uh, Davis-Bacon Act in various service sectors. And uh, I did a, uh, I did a uh, podcast on the Davis-Bacon Act with a whole history of it and, and discussion of the, uh, the statute itself uh, in a prior podcast. So you can check that one out uh, if you're interested in that. But, you know, it, it, it's, 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 uh, what is this claim, right? So that, Department of Labor comes in and says, well, wait a minute, the, uh, the, you know, someone in this chain, whether it's the contractor or the or a subcontractor or, or even further down, uh, you know, is not paying the, the correct amount to these laborers. And this stuff can get complicated. It, it's, it's, you know, they, they, they can, you can say, well, they, I'm paying this guy as a laborer, but, but, but really they'll come in and say, well, he's doing work that's not a laborer. He's really, you know, he's really a carpenter or something. He should be paid at a different rate or you're just not applying the right, uh, the right rate that's been set for that region or wh what have you. So, 
they come in and they say, you know, that this is this is underpaid, and so we're gonna we're gonna need X dollars from this contract in order to uh, in order to pay uh, these these laborers. So, you know, what 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 is this? Is this a cost of completion? As some courts have concluded, is it simply a, a claim? For labor, is it the government's claim or is it the laborer's claim? And the answers to these questions can impact on the analysis of what priority claim should be accorded to a Davis-Bacon Act um, uh, set-off, basically set-off of money from the contract. Ordinarily, the government's claims are are to recover for its own damages or losses, or to recover funds that are owed to the government, such as taxes, fines, penalties. And the Davis-Bacon Act claim is for somebody else's wages, right? It's for laborers or mechanics on a project who weren't paid probably. So it's not the government's money. It's not money that's technically owed to the government. The government is really, um, it's entitled to collect the back, wa back wages, and, 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 but ultimately those are paid over to the laborers or the mechanics. So should the fact that, <coughs> should the fact that the government is designated as the vehicle through which enforcement is handled be the determinative factor as to the nature of the claim. The government has that statutory obligation to enforce the Davis-Bacon, but who has a superior interest in the contract funds? And there have been a handful of cases, not a lot, but um, there have been, been a number of cases where the government uh, basically has taken the position that even if the surety is a performing surety. The surety has come in, entered in takeover agreement, and completed the work that the surety is, does not have priority to the completion funds with respect to the Davis-Bacon Act set-off. And, and to me, that's just, that just makes no sense. I mean, the, the government, when it's its own money, uh, can't, can't the, 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 the set-off rights for taxes and that kind of stuff is secondary to the surety's right to those funds to complete the job. And, and, and these courts have said, no, we're taking this money in the surety and, and the government, you know, on this project have no rights to these funds. They're gone. They don't exist. And, and that makes no sense at all uh, because these are laborers of the contractor. Once the contractor is in default, right, it's, it's just, you know, tons of cases that say once the contractor is in default, they don't have any more rights under the contract. Contract funds become the government's or the sureties to complete. And until there's completion and until all those funds have been uh, exhausted to do the completion, uh, if there's any left over, then it can be paid off to laborers and things like that. But, but uh, not, not, under, not under these cases and analyzing this. Uh, and they don't, these cases don't do a good job of analyzing. That's part of the problem. So you're left scratching your head like, where are you coming up with this? <laughs> Why are you... Why are you putting this claim above all claims? Why are you giving this a super priority? And it's, the statute doesn't say that. The statute does not give the government the right to do this. It doesn't say anything about, uh, you know, some kind of super priority here. It even talks about, you know, that the, the government may withhold these funds from the contractor from accrued payments if the contracting officer considers it necessary. It's the words that it uses. It uses the words may. And somehow... The Department of Labor and these these cases that have addressed the issue have taken the position that it's it's a super priority. So I don't know. That's that's just a a curiosity to me that that I haven't figured out yet. Uh, we'll get around to it, I guess, one of these days. But 
anyway, uh, there was other things that I wanted to talk about, but maybe we'll put those in another episode in the future. Uh, for now, I'm, uh, I guess I'm about out of time. So I want to uh, close up here. We're, we're, uh, we're entering the busy season, and I want to talk about some of these upcoming events. Uh, but before I uh, open up the line for any questions, I want to uh, let everyone know that the next edition of Surety Today will be uh, on uh, June 9th, um, uh, obviously at 12.30 Eastern Time. The upcoming events in the surety world. So on May 18th, the Philadelphia Surety Claims Association will be holding their lunch meeting with Mr. Stephen Taylor with the SFAA as our speaker. And he's going to talk about, you know, what the SFAA does and their, their, uh, what they're doing in, in terms of their amicus briefs and all of that. So I uh, should be there if I think he gets not sick. I uh, hope to see everyone there. On May, uh, May 26th, the brand new Florida Surety Claims Association will hold its inaugural meeting in Sarasota, Florida. Now, I learned about this when I was down at the Southern talking with Jim Kisner with FCCI. So contact Mr. Kisner for more details. I'm not sure if they have a website or not set up yet, but it's a brand new association. It's just getting started. On uh, June 6th, the Philadelphia Surety Claims Association will hold its annual golf outing in Philadelphia. That's a really fun event. We, we always have good giveaways there. Uh, there's a, a raffle and giveaways at the end, so it's always uh, fun. June 9th, the Atlanta Surety Association will hold a lunch meeting. June 14th, the Chicago Surety Claim Association will hold its uh, annual golf outing. And uh, finally, on June 22nd through the 24th, the Surety Claims Institute uh, annual meeting will be held in Asheville, North Carolina. And our own uh, Cindy Rogers Ware will be in attendance. So thank you to everyone for joining me today. And uh, okay, we're now in talk mode. So if anybody wants to chat, have a question, let me know. Oh, come on. No comments on those crazy bond forms? I, I would love to hear if anybody had, has ever had to deal with one of those. I mean, I guess it makes it simple. You just pull out your checkbook because... If you wrote that bond, any of those bonds, it's terrible. Yeah, well, hopefully the um, the agents are the ones that are going to see these. So we'll try and make sure that they do see your bad bond forms. This is Kim. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. You know, doing the, doing the bond forms, it's hard in a in a in a you know only a voice setting. It's it's hard to for you you know because you can't see them, but. Uh, uh, we can we can post them we can post them with our um, with our podcast uh, so that you could you could see them if you want to. All right, if there's no questions, I'm are gonna. Mike, Mike, are you posting the um, dates that you just gave everyone? Um, those dates are if you go to my website wcslaw.com and then click on the educational resources tab. Then we have uh, Surety Today, the blog. We have Surety Today, the podcast, which we're doing now, and then we have the blog. There's an event calendar there that has all of this stuff uh, listed there. So okay, perfect. Thanks. Yeah. Any other questions, anybody? Okie doke. Thank you, and uh, look forward to speaking with you again next month. Thank you for listening to this episode of Surety Today. 
audio recordings, and white papers from prior episodes are available on the Surety Today page of the Wright, Constable, and Skeen website at wcslaw.com backslash surety-today.